Good morning, everyone. This morning, uh, the pastors at Community Bible Church, uh, the elders, must have made a decision to cancel church because of the large snowstorm and high winds that came through last night, Saturday night, and we'll carry on today, Sunday. Supposed to get some more snow. We'll see how that happens. Pure weather is always difficult to predict and whether or not it's going to be accurate. My lovely wife, Elizabeth, had the good idea that since church was canceled, it doesn't mean that we can't continue teaching or try to send something out for everyone. And so she gave the idea of, of Facebook live stream. Uh, I don't have the ability to live stream YouTube, so we're going to just continue on with a video recording, and then I'll send that out to you guys in the email momentarily once we're done here. Last week, we completed a review on Romans 1 through 11, up to the midway point in Romans 11. And today, I had sent out notes last week, around Thursday, several days ago, for Romans 11, 13 through 27. And so, here on the board, I have it, Romans 11, 13 through 27. Uh, let's get started with a word of prayer and continue on together. So thank you, Elizabeth, for encouraging me to do this. I know lots of, lots of people. Uh, we're so thankful for technology that despite winter weather storms, we can continue on um, recording radio or, and to nowadays video. Uh, what a wonderful tool that the church gets to have. Uh, with with these tools and I'm very thankful for my wife taking care of the kids and lending me out our little schooling nook that she uses for teaching our children so Lord thank you so much for today and we know that you're in charge of the storms that come through the earth uh, you're in charge of every every snowflake every drop of rain every grain that grows in the ground from the wheat kernel. You are in charge of it all. Not a sparrow flits to the ground apart from your will. Lord, we pray and recognize your sovereign hand that you are great, that you are mighty, and storms remind us of how great and powerful you are and also about how great and powerful you are to stop them whenever you command for them to be stopped. Just as Jesus stopped the storm on the, the lake of Galilee, the great, the great lake in northern Israel, that Jesus could command and stop the waves and the wind, and the disciples stood in awe at, at his power, at your power. Thank you so much for showing us your great power and for giving us your word. Help us this morning to honor you. Help Community Bible Church to grow in the truth, for us to grow in love and forgiveness of one another, and to, to learn how to be more loving, more kind, and to be abundant in loving the truth and loving good deeds, caring for others. Help us, Lord, to grow in these great virtues and attributes and to be more like you. Father, we thank you for your love that you've shown to us. You loved us first, 
And now we have learned and you are placing in our hearts how to learn to love you and to love others. Amen. So Romans 11, 13 through 27, we'll begin by reading, starting in verse 13. But I am speaking to you who are Gentiles, inasmuch then as I am an apostle of Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If somehow I might move to jealousy my fellow countrymen and save some of them. For if their rejection is reconciliation of the world, what will their <clears throat> excuse me, acceptance be but life from the dead? If the first piece of dough is holy, the lump is also. And if the root is holy, the branches are too. Speaking of Israel and Israelites. Verse 17. But if some of the branches were broken off and you you being the Gentiles, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them, the Israelites, and became partaker with them, them being the Israelites again, of the rich root of the olive tree. Do not be arrogant toward the branches, but if you are arrogant, remember that it is not you who supports the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in? Quite right. They were broken off for their unbelief, but you stand by your faith. And that's important. How do we stand before God? It's, it's through faith alone. Here's the next command at the end of verse 20. Do not be conceited, but fear. This is important. There's some commands in here. Do not be arrogant. Now again in verse 20, do not be conceited. And the command also to fear. Verse 21. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Behold then the kindness and the severity of God to those who fell severity, but to you God's kindness. If you continue in his kindness, Otherwise, you also will be cut off. There's that warning. And they also, the Israelites, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. Key word there, again. And God is able to do this. Verse 24, For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree... The wild Gentiles were cut off and brought into the, the rich root of the covenant promise of God made to Abraham and the seed of Abraham that ultimately fulfills all this blessing is Jesus Christ himself. You can read that more in Galatians. Paul talks about the relationship between Jesus and Abraham and Jesus being the seed, which is the ultimate blessing. <clears throat> we, we Gentiles were were cut off from wild trees and brought into the rich root of that covenant blessing made with Abraham. If you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, the covenant blessing of Abraham, 
How much more will these, who are the natural branches, the Israelites, who are physical descendants of Abraham, how much more will these natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? And then here Paul, Paul kind of summarizes here, verse 25. Or he, he gets explicit about what he wants us to understand here. I do not want you, brethren, Gentile brethren, specifically, but I believe this is also... The principles here need to be understood by the Jewish um, believers as well, believers and non-believers of the Jewish uh, people. I do not want you to be uninformed of this mystery so that you will not be wise in your own, est own estimation. That is, that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And Paul talked about that hardening Back in Romans 9, it was explained further in chapter 10 about how the Israelites were not, many of the Israelites were not believing in Messiah when he came. And they were rejecting him and they were trying to establish their own righteousness rather than accepting Christ's righteousness on their behalf through faith by God's grace. And then Paul showed us in the, the first part of Romans 11 how God has always kept a remnant, a small portion of believing Israelites who do have faith in God and are truly his. Uh, and he references back to the Chronicles of the Kings during the time of Elijah and the 7,000 men whom God kept um, that would not bow their knee to Baal. And so out of all the Israelites, God numbers 7,000 men, and we could include a, a number of women and children that would have been incorporated into enlarging that number, but it's still a small portion. 7,000 men represented the 7,000 uh, men and possibly a certain number of their family members that would have been saved in their households. Not necessarily all of them, though, would be saved. So a partial, I don't, Gentiles, I don't want you to be wise in your own estimation. A partial hardening has happened to the Israelites, to Israel, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so God has caused a partial hardening on the Israelite people until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Uh, we won't talk about now how that partial hardening is ha happens. We've talked before about a sinful rebellion in the fall, uh, the power of, of Satan over human um, wills, hearts, and minds, and how people are dead in their trespasses and sins, how people are enslaved to sin, and how people serve uh, Satan unless God chooses to take Satan's power away from that person and give them a new heart and they come to belief in faith. There's more details in that. But let's pick up at verse 26 here. And so all Israel will be saved, just as it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. And so, verse 26, all Israel will be saved. I want you to notice the tense there, will be, and that's indicating a future salvation with a great emphasis on all, which would mean like it's either every single person 
or the great majority that's alive during this time of great outpouring of salvation. And we'll get more into that later when we work through my, my notes here. This is God's promise, and this is what Paul quotes to us. The Deliverer, God, the Savior, will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them, the Israelite peoples, when I take away their sins. And that's God's amazing promise. He can remove ungodliness. He can take their sins away. And just like we learned back in Romans 4, David said, Blessed is the man whom the Lord does not take his sin into account. And blessed is the man who has faith like Abraham. Righteousness comes to us. The righteousness of God comes to us on the basis of faith. We stand by our faith, as Paul repeated earlier to us Gentiles here, and the same for Israelites. Everybody stands by faith before God. So, Let's get back up to verse 13 and read 13 and 14. And we're going to take big chunks here together. So verses 13 and 14. But I am speaking to you who are Gentiles, inasmuch then as I am an apostle of Gentiles, I magnify my ministry or I make my ministry as great as I can. I try to, to do the, the, the best, most amazing, great, huge ministry I possibly can. If somehow, and why does Paul magnify his ministry? I magnify my ministry to the Gentiles if somehow I and my ministry might move to jealousy my fellow countrymen and save some of them. And so the countrymen is the Israelites who Paul is related to physically by blood and by family and by national covenant. So Paul's ministry to the Gentiles, he, he wants to make his ministry great. Get this. He wants to make his ministry great and enlarged and go to as many Gentiles as possible. So that is another way to say this. So that if possible, as much as possibly can be done, he can move to jealousy the Israelites and so that they might be able to save some of them. So the point of Gentile ministry that Paul is doing as hard as labor as he can is so is for a, a purpose that us Gentiles might like, well, wait a second, doesn't he just do this out of love for us Gentiles? Yes, he does. He expresses great love for us, but he also has a special kindred love for his countrymen. Just as many of us would, you know, yes, you pray for the lost, but you know, there's something really special about if your brother or your sister or your parents aren't saved, you're like, there's a special, special, unique love because you have such a close relationship with them for those close people, close to your proximity, close to your family, your closest friends and family who are rejecting God. You, you have a special, unique, invested type of love toward them just because of the paradigm that God has put you in, uh, the, the place of life that you were raised in, you, you want to see your closest dear ones that you've grown up with, uh, went to the movies with, have eaten so many meals with, you want to see them saved. And so Paul's ministry to the Gentiles, his great hope about this ministry to the Gentiles is to move to jealousy his Israelite brethren so that some of them might be saved. 
This guy really loves people, and he really loves his countrymen, the Israelites, and he wants to see more of them saved. And that is that that idea alone. Just those first two. This this section addresses um, should address very clearly. No arrogance, no conceit, fear God, God's work for the Israelite people, anti-Semitism, anti-Jewishness in, in, in Gentile churches or in nations is totally wrong, I think. If Paul is expressing such love and prayer for these people, why, why would Gentile believers ever have anything less of an attitude that the Apostle Paul showed to us in so many letters. And this one being very specific. If Paul prays for his persecutors, just as Jesus gave us the model to pray for his persecutors, and guess what? Jesus was praying for the Jewish people who were putting him to death. And he said, forgive them for they know not what they do. The, the Jewish people and the Roman centurions that were actually acting it out, or the Roman uh, soldiers that were carrying out the crucifixion. There is no good reason that any Gentile should have a, a warring or anti-Jew mentality. That's just ridiculous. We wouldn't have an anti-Amazon jungle tribe mentality, right? According to the gospel, we should care about them, even if they're cannibals and they've killed lots of missionaries like... Uh, Jim Elliot and Elizabeth Elliot, who had to forgive the very tribesmen that killed her husband and the other three missionary men, trying to take them the gospel. You know, I, I, I get it. I, I know the Jews killed the Messiah, but Jesus said, forgive them. They know not what they do. Anti-Semitism should not be in the ranks of any Christian's mind who studied the gospel and studied the New Testament and the old. God expresses great love, long suffering and patience toward very rebellious people. And we leave judgment in the hand of God's hands. Now, if you're being attacked by Jewish people, you know, this is a weird scenario, but I mean, if they were like warring and trying to, you know, you have a right to self-defense biblically. Uh, in your lands and stuff like that. And we can't get into that now. But let's carry on. Verse 15 and 16. For if their rejection, the Israelite rejection, is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? Okay, this is this sentence, verse 15, carries massive theological implications. And so does verse 16 and the rest of the olive tree um, analogy. But I want to explain verse 16 next week at the last uh, section of Romans 11. I want to, but I want to focus on verse 15. For if their rejection is reconciliation for the world or of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? And there's, I want to emphasize this, what will their acceptance be? Once again, future tense kind of words here, what will their acceptance be, but life from the dead. Speaking of a great salvation that's coming to the Israelite people. And specifically, you could really understand this if you read Ezekiel 36 and 37. The Israelite nation is looked at as 
a valley of dry, dead bones. Dead, dead, dead. And so needing dead bodies needing to come to life again. And that's speaking about spiritual life, spiritual salvation. So God's going to bring, resurrect these dead bodies, these spiritually dead people and bring them to life again. And it's going to happen. What will their acceptance be but life from the dead? Now, the first part of verse 15, the Israelite rejection is the reconciliation of the world. I believe that through the Israelites' rejection, the gospel has gotten to go out to the Gentiles. And I'm going to turn to Matthew 21 to just explain that real quick. Matthew 21, verses uh, 33 to 46, Jesus tells this parable to the Pharisees, the religious leaders who were ruling Israel uh, and teaching them. And this would have included the priestly caste, the Sadducees, as, and uh, the Sadducees and the Pharisees kind of shared leadership over the nation. <clears throat> And teaching. Listen to another parable, Jesus says. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard and put a wall around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower. Speaking of God, and he rented it out to vine growers. Now God rents the vineyard out to vine growers. That's teachers, religious teachers or the vine growers. And he went on a journey. So God went away on a journey, but he's still intimately a part of this whole thing. Verse 34. When the harvest time approached, God, he sent his slaves to the vine growers to receive his produce. So he sent some of his servants and slaves to these teachers to receive back a report of the produce and to see what's, what's happening. Well, the vine growers took his slaves and beat one and killed another and stoned a third. That's imagery of how the religious leaders always treated the prophets, God's teachers that came to confront the leaders and the nation of sin. And I continued on when God sent them the apostles during the time of Jesus and after. Again, he sent another group of slaves larger than the first. They did the same thing to them, beat them, killed them, stoned them, rejected them. But afterward, he sent his son to them saying, they will respect my son. But when the vine growers saw the son, the son being Jesus, they said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. They took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what do you think will he will do to these vine growers, these teachers, these religious leaders that just had his son killed? They rejected his son when he came to call them to account and to see what they were doing and to bring them into submission to him. They said to him, so this is the Pharisees, the vine growers talking back to him, to Jesus, responding to this story. He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they said. They're like, these vine growers, they deserve judgment. They can't do that. The moral of the story is obvious. He's going he's gonna to bring these wretches to a wretched end, and he will rent out the vineyard to other vine growers 
who will pay him the proceeds at the proper seasons. And so the Pharisees actually respond this way and say, he's going to kill, he's going to get rid of those wretched vine growers and he's going to find good ones and new ones and give the, the teaching and the religious leadership to them uh, to, to produce the fruit of the kingdom, which is the salvation of souls and, uh, and of people serving and worshiping God. Now, Jesus said to them, did you never read in the scriptures? And now he says, now this story is literal. It's, it's a story that pictures the literal reality. The stone which the builders rejected, the stone being the sun that the vine growers rejected, the air, this became the chief cornerstone and this came about from the Lord. This was all the Lord's doing ultimately. And it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you. And now he's pointing back to these Pharisees and these teachers saying, the kingdom of God is going to be taken away from you. You bad vine growers, you just admitted that those wretched men were wretches. Well, that's you. I'm telling you, that is you. And Jesus told them the story and then he told them the reality that I'm talking about you. God's going to take it away from you and give it to people producing the fruit of it. And that a people, I believe Jesus is saying, will be of primarily the Gentiles. It will be Jewish started and it will be have Jewish people in it. And it will also be uh, including the Gentiles. So, and uh, they will, it will be given to a people producing the fruit of it. And the next uh, teachers are, are are supposed to produce the, produce the spiritual fruit in people's lives and bring people into obedience and love and worship of God. And Jesus said this, and he who falls on this stone, the stone being Jesus, will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they understood that he was speaking about them. And when they sought to seize him, they feared the people because they considered him to be a prophet. And so Jewish, back to verse 15 in Romans 11, if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, and we just read in that Matthew parable about how God's going to give out the kingdom to other vine growers and produce uh, the fruit of it. And then the next uh, parable teaching in Matthew actually talks about how not just the vine growers, not just the religious leaders rejected Jesus, but many of the people underneath them rejected Jesus that were following them. And then so God says, if they don't want to come to the wedding banquet, he sends his slaves, his prophets, his apostles, his servants out, his teachers out to invite anybody. And so that's the world. So outside of Israel, he's going out to the rest of the world. The highways and the byways to gather people into his kingdom and to worship, love, and serve God in spirit and in truth. And that's in uh, Matthew 22, 1 through 14. And so that call of the gospel goes out to the rest of the world. Because of Jewish, um, Jewish rejection, and so many Jews rejected God's like, I'm sending out the gospel message to the highways and the byways. Go and call anybody, good or bad, uh, to, to the banquet table of the kingdom. Come and listen to the gospel and respond to the Messiah. You're being invited to come to the king. And so that's the imagery. So let's move on to verse 17 of Romans 11. 
It says this, 17 and 18, but if some of the branches were broken off and you being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them and became partaker with them of the rich root of the olive tree. Another command here, verse 18, do not be arrogant toward the branches. But if you are arrogant, remember, it is not you who supports the root, but the root supports you. No Gentile should ever foster an attitude of arrogance against unbelieving Jews. We have been graciously grafted in to the rich root of Christ and of the covenant blessing that God made to Abraham. And the the gospel he spoke before to Abraham was this. Abraham, I will make you a father of many nations, ethnos, ethnicities, peoples, many different nations. And, you know, Abraham's like, how could that be? But this is how God's making it be. He's inviting everyone in the world to come into his kingdom through the blessing he promised to Abraham, to be a father of many nations by faith, as we read back in Romans chapter 4. And we are children, sons of Abraham through faith. And we get to inherit that rich root of covenant blessing that God promised and chose to give to Abraham. And we are his children receiving his inheritance, Abraham's inheritance, blessing with God through faith. We stand by faith like Abraham, our father, our spiritual father, if you are Gentile, and your spiritual and physical father, if you are a believing Jew. What a wonderful, wonderful thing. So Gentiles, do not be arrogant toward the branches, the natural branches, the Israelites. But if you are arrogant, remember that it's not you who supports the root, the roots appear to you. And so no Gentile should be arrogant against Abraham's descendants who don't believe, uh, the Jewish people who don't believe. That's not very, just on a human standpoint, that's not very respectful. Uh, to be like, Abraham, I don't like your grandchildren that don't believe. He still cares, he would still care about them and be praying for their salvation. Uh, you should too. Um, you should care about what God decided to do with Abraham and care about Abraham's descendants and care about everybody whom God would save, whether Jew or Gentile. But the analogy here, I believe, is very clear. Gentiles should have no attitude of arrogance toward natural branches, Israelites, that do not believe. Should mean no arrogance. There's a clear command there. No arrogance, no pride against toward them, thinking that you're better than them somehow. And we've learned that salvation is by grace, and we've tried to learn what that means in Romans. That apart from God's grace, you would not have a believing heart either. Apart from God's Holy Spirit regeneration and the gift of God, that the atonement of Jesus Christ actually purchases and makes effectual on your life through regeneration of the Holy Spirit, when God takes that dead stony heart out of you and gives you a heart of faith that responds to God, sees the beauty of God and the gospel and the glory of Jesus Christ, you see how lovely, pure, you see the wisdom of God in Christ, you see the righteousness of God in Christ, and you run to him and you embrace Christ. And that came because God took the dead heart out. Read Ezekiel 36 and 37. This is new covenant. This is exactly what God has always done because people have dead hearts. People are dead in their trespasses and sins toward God. No arrogance 
There shouldn't be arrogance. Jews shouldn't be arrogant toward Gentiles. Gentiles should not be arrogant against Jews. God is, God is saving both groups. We need to come together, as Ephesians 2 talks about, and accept what God is doing. Don't be arrogant towards Jesus' physical brethren. Jesus is Lord, and he will judge, and he will save as he sees fit. You aren't Lord. Be humble. Be thankful for your salvation. You are in Abraham's blessing by God's grace. God gave you the gift of faith. God gave you the gift of repentance. We should be humble, not arrogant and prideful. No pride should be in the Christian. The Pharisees and the Sadducees had lots of pride, and Jesus confronted them. Pride is the root of all kinds of error in your thinking. And Jesus confronted a lot of error in the thinking of the Pharisees in the New Testament. Let's avoid those sins and do what Scripture clearly says, not be arrogant toward Jews who don't believe. So he told Abraham he would bless the Gentiles through him. We are blessed because God promised to bless us in Abraham, Gentiles and physical Jews that believe and will one day believe more of them. God supports us Gentiles through his promise to Abraham to send the seed that would redeem and would make it possible for the gospel to go out. And remember that it was God who brought about the hardening, ultimately, of the Israelites so the message could go out and Abraham could become a father of many nations. The, the rejection of the Israelites results in the reconciliation of the world. So because the Israelites reject, the world gets to be invited to the banquet feast so God has dinner guests in his kingdom in heaven. And God brought that about. Don't be arrogant, Gentiles and Jews. Understand that's what the scriptures say. Don't, don't hate Gentiles either. Let's all be humble in love and be thankful for God's grace for saving us. We deserve hell. We've all sinned against God, Jew and Gentile. Let's love together and build unity and trust and truth and pray for one another, encourage and love one another. As God has embraced both groups now, and he promised to do that back when he told Abraham he'd be a father of many nations. So please, Jews, look to your spiritual father and look to what the, the Old Testament's uh, prophesied that God would make happen and embrace us Gentiles. We love you. We, we are so grateful that God saved Abraham and chose to bless the rest of us world through that promise he made to them and, and your people. Verses 19 through 22. You Gentiles will say to me then, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Quite right. Uh, Jewish branches, unbelieving Jewish branches, were broken off so that you might be grafted in to the blessing and the fruit of the olive tree, the root. And Paul says in verse 20, quite right. They were broken off for their unbelief. Notice why they were broken off for their unbelief, but you stand by your faith. And what kind of unbelief was this? Remember back in Romans 10, Paul explained what that looked like in Romans 10, one through four. 
Brethren, my heart's desire is for the Israelites, and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. I testify about them that they have a zeal, a zeal for God. They have a passion for God, but it's not in accordance with knowledge. They didn't have the right knowledge. They were seeking God in an incorrect way. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own. They did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ, the Messiah, Jesus, is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So the Jews, many of them, the problem that Paul is addressing here, this unbelief, means that they were prideful, they rejected the Messiah, they, they rejected the message that they were sinful and that they were slaves of sin and that Jesus, the person Jesus, is the one who sets them free from that sin and makes a relationship with God possible. Uh, the scriptures say in, in the Gospels, uh, Jesus straight out tells the teachers, and this would have been some of what the other Jews believed who followed their teaching. The, the Pharisees trusted in themselves that they were righteous. And if that's what you believe at the core of your heart, you're lost. You're not. There's no humility. And Jesus tells in that story about how the tax collector that the Pharisee didn't like next to him were praying at the temple. And he says the tax collector offered his prayer in humility and in shame of his sin. And he said, God, please be merciful to me, the sinner. The tax collector recognized his sin. He was ashamed of his sin. He was deeply humble before God about his sin. And he asked and pleaded to God for mercy, knowing he didn't deserve mercy, but that's what he asked for. And the Pharisee was self-righteous, didn't like the tax collector next to him and said, God, thank you for not making me like him. And he was haughty and prideful and arrogant and he thought he had no sin. And he thought he was righteous in and of himself. He didn't think he needed to ask God for mercy for anything. And that's, that's a sad picture of, of uh, uh, many of the Jewish hearts at that time that Messiah came to earth. Verse 20, quite right. Those who did not believe, those Jews who did not believe, they were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand by your faith. Do not, here's another command, Gentiles, do not be conceited, but fear. So here's the, the next command. Don't be conceited, but fear. Don't, don't be arrogant. Don't be conceited. Fear. You see how God is very literally going to be doing some saving of, of Jews here and how we shouldn't be arrogant against them or conceited or think that this was of ourselves, that we've mustered this up somehow or we deserve something better than them now, uh, you know, because they sinned against God, God's totally done away with them. It's all us now. Look at us. Look at us. Look at us. No. That's exactly what Paul is trying to address here. And the Gospels, if we really understand all these stories in the New Testament, we should really be humble and pray for other people who aren't believing and care about them, even if they're killing us and putting us to death. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. And so don't be conceited, but fear. For God, if he did not spare the natural Israelite branches, he will not spare you, Gentiles, either. Behold then the kindness and the severity of God 
to those who fell severity, but to you God's kindness, if you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. So, God judged Israelite branches for not believing. The Jewish people that were broken off from this tree of salvation, they were broken off because they had no faith. And we were placed into Christ and the covenant blessing of Abraham, the rich root of the olive tree, because he gave us faith and he fulfilled his promise to Abraham to be a father of many nations. We Gentiles from many different people groups are commanded to not be conceited, but to have fear. We are to understand, and this is the point here, that God can stop blessing the Gentiles at any moment in time and return to the Israelites. We don't deserve to have a perpetual salvation offered to our descendants, our children, or to those uh, strangers that we preach the gospel to. We do know from Scripture that salvation must end one day for Jews, for, for Gentiles, and for Jews ultimately. I mean, God's going to bring his salvation history to an end at some point in time, and that would include us Gentiles. So always remember that because of God's grace and because by God's grace, faith and repentance are both gifts no one deserves, this truth that faith and repentance are gifts by God's grace, this truth alone should always produce humility. Don't be arrogant. Don't be conceited. Fear God. You don't support the root. The root supports you. I believe the apostate church will be judged just as the apostate Israel was judged over and over again in the New Old Testament and as we see in the New Testament rejection of Jesus. And here's the warning to the church. The visible church, the church building and all the people that come into the church buildings that are primarily Gentile, mostly Gentile, the visible church has plenty of phonies or massive amounts of sin in its ranks, just as the visible nation of Israel did in the Old Testament. And you can read about church uh, sin and about phony people actually in the church that look, that say they're Christian, that they're claiming Jesus Christ, but actually maybe aren't. Jesus said this, there are tares amongst the wheat. And that's true whether Israel past or Gentile present, Gentile church present. There are tares amongst us that are not the real thing. And the tares that are associating with the church unfortunately do some bad things and believe some wrong things. But then at the same time, you can also have the wheat itself that can believe some wrong things and do some bad things as well. So it's very hard to understand, but God will judge the church. He always saves those whom he saves, but just because God saves you doesn't mean that he won't punish you or discipline you uh, for doing things wrongly. And we can see that in the New Testament, the discipline of God on those believers that he loves for doing things wrongly. Ananias and Sapphira are killed for lying to the Holy Spirit right in front of the church. Uh, people are being killed in the Corinthian church when they're taking communion because they're so sinful. So God's discipline can be extreme. And in this passage, God can can bring down the hammer of judgment on the church and scatter the light and, and um, 
remove your light, as it says in Revelation, the light of the church and disband a church for becoming too sinful and too wrong in their thinking or in their actions. And so we should have fear and not think that, you know, God won't judge us. No, I mean, Peter says it's time for the judgment to begin with the household of God first. And so the true church has always been warned of judgment happening on a church building and an assembly of people that get too arrogant, too conceited, and are not representing God very well. God can dismantle and judge that church and bring it into destruction. And we see that all the time. Leading pastors falling apart or churches, denominations that grow and then collapse into liberal heresy and, and heresy doctrines that fall away. Verses 23, and they also, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in again, for God is able to graft them in again. And so, Jews, Paul wouldn't say this unless it was God's plan to graft them in again, and God is able to graft them in again. For if you Gentiles were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will will these who are the natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? It'll be very easy for God to graft the Israelites back into their olive tree of Abraham and faith. It'll be a very easy thing for God to do. I believe that believing Jews should understand this sovereignty of God principle more than anyone. God chose Abraham. God came to Abraham when he was an idol worshiper and revealed himself to him and chose to to give Abraham faith and repentance And God didn't do special things for everybody else that was related to Abraham. He told him to go away from the land of Ur and go be separated for a time. God chose Abraham. He drew him away and he blessed him. And he was doing salvific work through Abraham. God is sovereign. God is sovereign in salvation and in salvation history of people. When God chooses to do something, it gets done. It gets done. Jewish people's hope for salvation for more Jewish people is solidified in knowing that God has decreed to make it happen. And I believe this verses show that very clearly that God is going to save more Jewish people. And why can Jewish people hope? Because God's word says it's going to happen. Just as the other prophecies, Ezekiel, Zechariah, prophesy of this is going to happen. The New Testament is just repeating this theme. Paul, specifically here. God will make it happen. He will execute his word and the salvation of Israel will come. For I don't want you to be unaware, brethren, or to be uninformed of this mystery, so that you won't be wise in your own estimation. A partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. God is not finished with Israel. God has only chosen one people to be a theocratic nation under him, the 12 tribes of Jacob. God didn't choose the British. He didn't choose the Italians. 
God will fulfill his millennial reign over the whole world from Jerusalem. God will turn back to redeeming Israelites, saving Israelites in mass when he finishes his course of salvation with us Gentiles. And there's always been a remnant of believing Jews in the church. I get the pleasure of knowing one of them. I call her my friend, and I'm thankful for that. God will turn back to redeeming Israelites in mass when he finishes his course with us Gentiles. I can hardly wait for that day because the end is near, and that's awesome. It'll be beautiful. It'll be wonderful. I look forward. Heaven's closer. How lovely it will be to rejoice with the angels and Abraham when God pours out cries for mercy into the hearts of so many Israelites. Read Zechariah 12, 10. What a work to praise God for. His sovereign decree of salvation. God pouring out his spirit into the hearts of these people to cry out for mercy. God pouring out his spirit into these unbelieving hearts to cry out for mercy. God does the pouring out to cause a result for these people to cry out for mercy. The people cry out for mercy because God pours his spirit into them to do a crying out for mercy. God is sovereign in salvation and he will make it happen when he does. Let us Gentiles not be wise in our own selves. God has hardened the majority of Israelites so that we can be blessed in their place, but this is only temporary. When he is done saving us Gentiles, his plan is to turn back to Israel and bring the believing remnant of Jews an answer to their prayers, the salvation of all Israel and kingdom blessing as was promised in the Old Testament. And we will learn more about why that is possible next week in the next section of Romans 11. Verse 26, and so God says this, Paul says this, all Israel will be saved just as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So remember, Gentiles and Jews, the principle is the same for you too. Gentiles, don't be arrogant against Jews. Don't be conceited. Don't think much of yourself. Don't think that you're better than them. Be fearful knowing God can judge apostate church or a sinful church for being wrong and God can remove your light away from you and we can be taken to heaven and be judged severely for sin. Know this, God has plans for Israel. Follow the simple, clear commands in scripture on this passage. Don't be arrogant. Don't be conceited. Fear God. Jews, please don't hate us Gentiles either. Don't be arrogant toward us. We are thankful. I am thankful for being blessed in Abraham by God's grace. Lord, thank you for the truth of these scriptures. I pray that it brings healing to many people's hearts and that Jew and Gentile can understand that they are to worship you together and that there not be racial arrogance toward or against each other or think that I deserve to be blessed more than the other and yada, yada, yada. Stop the bickering, stop the fighting. Lord, I pray that anti-Semitism would not be at Community Bible Church in any way. And I pray that it would be stifled in many other places in church denominations and places in people's hearts and individuals' hearts. But I understand that it, everything goes according to your will and your sovereign plan. 
We submit ourselves to you as sovereign God. Thank you for your truth. You are worthy of all praise, adoration, and worship. Help all of us to obey what is clearly told to us by Paul here. Not to be arrogant, not to be conceited, but to have fear and to be humble. Amen.